Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm so very happy to welcome Stacey Stewart, Director for Long-Term Care Solutions at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. Welcome to the podcast, Stacey. Thanks so much, Sam. And I'm equally excited to be here and participate with you in the podcast today. And we were chatting earlier on how excited I am Stacy, to have you, first and foremost, an absolute expert in this space, doing just amazing work, uh, but also something we haven't talked, in my opinion, enough about on the SAMHSA's podcast is long-term care. And why I say we haven't talked enough about it is that Medicaid is the largest payer of long-term care in Illinois. And we have such an ability to improve people's lives, to improve the market by really focusing on long-term care. And so this quarter, fourth quarter of 2022, we are gonna dive in and really talk about long-term care. And I'm so excited, Stacey, that you are sort of helping us and educating our listeners and really oftentimes, all the time, educating me on all of the opportunities and the work that plans are doing in this space. And so I think to just sort of kick off, can you sort of provide an overview of the work you do and and long-term care at Blue Cross and sort of what does long-term care solutions mean to you? Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. And, you know, I agree. I think it's such a, it's a golden opportunity for us to really highlight Um, what long-term care means and and how we really kind of engage uh, with members that um, need, you know, long-term services. So really first, anyone who may need assistance, you know, with care due to their healthcare conditions or healthcare needs may not um, need not only medical care, but they also might need some day-to-day support with their activities of daily living, such as bathing and grooming, or even instrumental activities of daily living, such as laundry and housekeeping. So this type of support is often and can be given in um, a private residence. And this care may need to be provided over a long period of time, right? So hence long-term care. Um, And that type of care that's provided in a residence, um, really the intent is to, to divert or prevent someone from needing Um, really a higher level of care, like a nursing facility placement. So for us at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, um, long-term care really indicates that someone is residing within a facility. So the facility is their home um, and they need those long-term assistance needs, not only again with that medical care, but also those non-medical kind of daily um, supports. So today at Blue Cross, we've got about 10,000 members who reside in facilities. Um, And because of this special and unique population and very important population, um, we've dedicated a care coordination team and a management team that has expertise, experience, and knowledge with all of the distinct needs of our members. Um, And they're responsible really to manage all of the components of the members' care. 
this team provides care coordination to support to, to each member um, through face-to-face -face engagement. In addition, many of our care coordinators have worked within facilities um, prior to their work with us. So they have that kind of um, really detailed understanding of the dynamics and the unique kind of way that they have to navigate, um, not only to work with the member, but also to foster those positive um, relationships and collaboration with facility staff, um, which again can be kind of a unique skill in itself. You've gotta be able to understand um, the member and their needs, but also just the nature of the nursing facility. Um, our goal is really to ensure that each member feels like they matter um, and that they, they really deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. They feel safe and supported and have access to all of their healthcare and personal needs. So today we've got, for our team, we've got about 80 staff that do make regular visits to members and conduct health assessments on our members. They do care planning and they also coordinate ongoing care for members that reside within those nursing facilities. Um, and we do go to every facility we have members in and we're statewide as well. I, there's so much, I mean, that was that is so amazing. It's that you walk through everything, but there's just so many things that each time I, like, as you were talking, Stacy, that I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know that I fully appreciated that or didn't think about it that way. And over and over again, I thought to myself, well, this doesn't happen in fee-for-service, right? Like those are 10,000 members who have a care coordinator, somebody other than an employee of the nursing home mm -hmm. coming in, creating care plans, visiting them, right? Like just that social piece, somebody to talk to. Um, and then really looking holistically at the conversation. We're going to dive into this a little bit, but, um, you know, do they want to stay in the nursing home? Do they want to move to the community? I know you guys have programs helping with that too. And I just think there's so much there that doesn't happen in a fee-for-service environment. And it's just another example of where the health plans are providing added benefits. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm so glad to, to, you know, for, to have the opportunity to talk about what our priorities are because there are many, right? There are so many. Um, and it is, it's a, it's a personal, personal passion of mine. And I think again, back to just the population and, um, you know, it's, we don't think of them as forgotten members, right? Um, there, there's high engagement. Again, our care coordination team, provides assistance with facilitating the member goals, right? To your point, whatever their goals are, um, if, if that is to live um, elsewhere, um, through kind of our person-centered planning process, the members kind of desires and goals and wishes are captured. And our care coordinators are inclined to really work in partnership with the member on their life journey, right? Whatever those priorities are. So our priorities become what the member's priorities are. Um, often some of those key areas that we focus on that we know are relevant and important stem around um, ensuring if a member does need to go to a hospital for care, that we're providing facilitation of those transitions back to their facility home, if that's where they're going to go. So really kind of the linkages with providers, with the facility, 
um, often with family members and informal supports as well. And then also ensuring that the member understands what their discharge plan is and making sure that we're supporting the member to meet those discharge planning goals as well. Um, another really key priority, and, and you touched on it a little bit, just that social interaction. Um, again, while we, while we may think that if somebody lives within a facility, right, there's lots of people around, there's lots of different people coming and going, um, we do really see this, this membership being at risk for social isolation and loneliness. So our coordinators often experience long visits with their members because um, they look forward to that interaction, right? And particularly with COVID, when some of those visits had to be paused or um, our members couldn't see their family members or have those other types of interactions, we, um, we have team meetings every week and we share stories about, you know, being in the, in the, the field and meeting with members that are in the facilities. Um, so many uh, stories that the care coordinators share about members wanting them to stay, right? They just want to catch up, you know, and kind of check in and, and get updates on, you know, the care coordinator and the member wants to share, you know, what's been going on with them as well. So it, there really, really is like, it's the things you can't really capture, right? It, it's the intangible of that, that social connectedness that we really offer. And that really is a priority for us that face-to-face -face interaction is just really key. Um, the other thing too, I think is, again, really just key for us, it's been such a high priority for our program across the board is to really be able to assist our members in, in transitioning into lower levels of care. So this has become like just a big focus and, and program for us. Um, and so we've actually built a team dedicated within our long-term care care coordination team. We've got a dedicated team that focuses on um, working with members that wanna move into alternative types of, of living. Um, and so that, that team or that program, we call that community transitions, um, otherwise known as re rebalancing. Um, and that's something that has been really kind of, I'd say a labor of love for all of us that work in this program, um, just because it is, it's so rewarding and so meaningful and purposeful um, when we can you know, align with what a member wants and be able to support that, that need and desire. And I think, you know, the thread that sort of weaves through all of what you just talked about, Stacey, and what I know, you know, from my understanding of care coordination, that is really so different from how the Medicaid program previously ever functioned and sometimes how people think about it is it's all member-centered. We at the health plans, and I know at IMHIP, and I definitely know on your team, you're always talking about the needs of the member the goals of the members, how can you support and help the members? And it's really a shift. It's not about the health plan. It's not about the providers. It's not about the state's IT capabilities. It's about the member. And how do we build a program that supports the member that helps them achieve whatever their goal may be? And for some of them, their goal may be to make it down to the dining hall for dinner once a week, right? Or, you know, or it may be to move out. Um, or it may just be to get there, you know, it may be a medical goal, but I I think you'll 
let me know if I'm wrong, but I hear often it's not a medical goal. It's almost always social and emotional and um, sort of more standard living um, focused from the individual members. Absolutely. You know, it's a combination for sure, right? Like we do so much education on the importance of, you know, good nutrition, um, follow-up visits with providers, but the the area, you know, most certainly that that members want to focus on and really, you know, talk about and work towards is what we might think of being kind of simple things, right? Well, you know, I want to be able to have my bath three days a week, or I want to eat at 10 o'clock in the morning in my room instead of, you know, in the common area. Um, or I want to have this special meal every Friday because, you know, it reminds me of, you know, my my aunt or uncle or, or what have you. So it is definitely the whole person. And I think that's what's been so great about the shift of how we provide care, health care and care coordination. It is by far not that traditional kind of medical model um, you know, even with our members that want to transition again into other types of living environments, whether it be senior housing or with fam- back in with family or any other types of housing, um, apartment living, um, it's really the key pieces that, that they want to focus in and hone in on is what's my life going to look like? You know, this is exciting. I want to be able to, we had a member that wanted to live by the lake so he could go fishing. And we were able to accommodate that and find housing um, that he was able to move into. So he was so ecstatic and we were as well, obviously, because when he shared his goal, we were, you know, thinking, oh my goodness, you know, this is going to be an extraordinary challenge for us. Um, But just through kind of the nature of the care coordination work and relationships that were built, with landlords um, in the community, we were able to kind of navigate through that and, you know, just everything worked out and he was able to achieve that. So yes, the, the medical care, the, the linkage to those providers as somebody might move to a different living environment um, or perhaps sometimes a different geographic area, um, the care coordinator is really working along with the member to make sure those linkages are made. So there's no care gaps, right? But a big piece of that transition lies within those social determinants, right? Also looking at like the health equity of, you know, what that member needs and making sure that they've got access to not just their, you know, medications and DMEs, um, but also those social um, components as well. Oh, what a big win, Stacey. Like, and I just think that's the intangible, right? Like it's, it, that's another intangible because, you know, on a report that is seen as a member transitioning out of a nursing home, which is a win. Everybody who, from a public policy perspective, that's a win. But it's so much bigger than that. It is a member who voiced a goal, a goal that was hard, right? Like it wasn't just to move out, which in and of itself is always a challenge, but a goal or I like this member has a specific location he wants to be so he can continue, you know, sort of foster that hobby of fishing, right? Like being by the lake and you guys found a way to make, to make that happen. I think that's then not only is that a transition, 
that's a transition with a member who knows that his health plan cares about him, who is now really invested in where in staying in the community, but also probably in his health, right? Like that that right. that relationship changes everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, it is, it goes back to kind of what our priorities are, um, right? To really making sure each member feels like they matter, right? It's not just we need to check boxes and, you know, get this done and get that done, but really hearing. And I'll tell you too, just on the care coordination side, it's equally rewarding, right? Like our coordinators, you know, they they are, you know, sometimes in tears just because they're so happy they get to kind of see like, this is this is real life. The, these are real things that happen. And um, to be able to see, you know, members be able to achieve that, right? Which is what it's about with those community supports. Again, I think that's key, right? Like a transition is, as you said, is it's extraordinarily challenging, particularly if somebody's been living within a facility for years, which we do have for sure. Um, you know, to make that transition, um, all of those other, you know, types of, of supports are just really key. So when I kind of kicked off the beginning, when I was talking about long-term care and some of those um, home-based types of care, that's key for transitions, right? Because we know invariably most of our members that move into like a, a lower level of care within their community they're gonna need some of that supplemental care as well. So that's another key component that we definitely leverage. We work with the state and partnership and our community organizations and providers to ensure that those other types of services are, are leveraged and put in place um, so that we can see those members be successful. Oh, I love that. And I love, you've already shared one win that is gonna stay with me, um, but I, this has been so uplifting, such a reminder of why we're in the Medicaid space, because I think it's so easy to get stuck on the requirements and the challenges, because it is, it's a challenging space to be in. Oh, but the people, the people are so worth it. And there's such an opportunity to make such a difference. And the care coordinators, listeners, if you've ever are having a bad day, just know that there are care coordinators out there that are honestly changing the world and they're just the most amazing, amazing people. And they lift my spirits anytime I have a chance to talk to them. But Cece, do you have a few other wins with all of your efforts that like you want to highlight or um, a story that just really sticks out in your mind? Sure. I, you know, there's so many like unique wins and circumstances, obviously, you know, kind of those personal um, interactions that care coordinators share where it's just meaningful and purposeful for the member, I think is, is you know, that's a win in itself. I think too, I, the other piece of just rebalancing as a, as a whole, right? You know, rebalancing, you know, how, you know, I would describe it is really looking at long-term services and supports like that continuum of care, the home and community-based services, which is again something that you know members can leverage when they you know live in their home. They can age in place. Um, those services are you know again kind of dictated by the member um, and, and you know provided when the member wants and how they want. Um, but the other piece of rebalancing is then again looking at members that 
do live within facilities and really targeting um, those members that want to transition out. Um, so that rebalancing is really leveraging community-based services versus institutional services, right? So to me, like the win is just overall the state imperative, um, the managed care imperative to really focus effort on that. Um, again, because so many members we find that live within the institution um, more often than not, they're not there by their choice, right? They either maybe had a hospital admission and needed some skilled care for a short time, and then they ended up maybe losing their housing or losing their informal supports. Um, and then their short stay ends up staying into a long-term stay. So <clears throat> just focusing in that imperative, I think is a win in itself, quite honestly, because it really does, you know, we can certainly talk about like the, the cost benefit of that, right? Um, because it is more cost effective to live within the community, um, but also health outcomes as well, right? And quality of life, you know, there's plenty of evidence to indicate somebody can live in the community, you know, we're going to expect they're going to have better health outcomes. Um, and that right there's, you know, really a social determinant, right? So I think just the state kind of imperative, the collaboration we have with our state agencies um, and our community partners has been really key um, for us to really kind of push a program forward. Um, I'm excited for Illinois just in kind of the work that we're doing um, and, and what we'll look like, right? And in another few years as well with um, all of the MCOs kind of working in the same direction for this effort. So I think that in itself, it's maybe not a blue cross win, um, but it's definitely a state win. And I think that's what we're here for, right? Like I love blue cross wins. I'm always cheering for you guys. I'm cheering for all the Medicaid health plans, but more than that, we all win when we move the program forward, right? And who wins most is that Medicaid member who has a better program to rely on and a stronger safety net to serve them. Absolutely. And and Stacey, I just want to thank you. Oh, this conversation has been so good. It's been so uplifting after a long week. Oh, it's been great to hear the work you guys are doing over at Blue Cross. Thank you so much. For sure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. And for our listeners to learn more about what I'm Hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, and hopefully to encourage and uplift you, visit our website at imhip.org. And of course, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry. The Sam and Sam says, as always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.